Today is April 25th, 2022. Happy Monday. You're listening to the Happy Market Research Podcast. I'm Jamin Brazil, your host. Support for the Happy Market Research Podcast and the following message comes from Michigan State's Marketing Research Program. The Michigan State University's Master of Science in Marketing Research Program delivers the number one ranked insights and analytics degree in three formats, full-time on campus, full-time online, and part-time online. New for 2022, if you can't commit to their full degree program, simply begin with one of their three core certifications, Insights Design or Insights Analysis. In addition to the certification, all the courses you complete will build towards your graduation. If you're looking to achieve your full potential, check out MSNMU's program at broad.msu.edu slash marketing. Again, broad.msu.edu slash marketing. HubUX is a research operations platform for private panel management, qualitative automation, including video audition questions, and surveys. For a limited time, user seats are free. If you'd like to learn more or create your own account, visit hubux.com. This is episode 530. If you were born on April 25th, 1992, then according to Billboard, Maria Maria by Santana featuring the product GNB was the number one song on your birthday. Now, this is a song about a girl. She falls in love with LA and tragically, the singer falls in love with her, but I don't fall in love with any of it. However, Carlos Santana, he nails the acoustic riffs and additionally, Wycliffe Jean does an amazing job with the main percussion beat, and you've heard this percussion beat remix in lots of remixes. I hope you enjoy it. Ladies and gents, turn up the sound system to the sound of Carlos Santana in the GMB ghetto. So to you, birthday person, happy 22nd birthday. I can do math now. To everyone else, let's make this a kick-ass Monday. Let's talk about other audio delights. As a podcaster, it probably comes to no surprise to you that I love podcasts. And my new favorite one is Green Book's Green Book Podcasts. Now, the name is not very creative. Sorry, Green Book. You know I love you. But I actually think it's on point. In a world where even my local, and this is true, my local shoe shop has his own podcast. Well, he doesn't actually have his own. He's been featured on a few, which is a whole other story. I think it's good to be crystal clear. The voice of this particular podcast is Lenny Murphy, the author of The Grit Report, which, as you know, is the industry standard of trends for technology in the research space. And Green Book, of course, is the leading guide for all things market research and consumer insights. This is the ninth episode that we're going to be playing today of the Green Book podcast. And Lenny Murphy, he sits down with Benjamin Humphrey, the founder of Dovetail. Now, you may not have heard of Dovetail. I bet you actually most of you have heard of Dovetail. But just in case you haven't, Dovetail is a new entrant in the research technology space. It allows users to transcribe recordings, discover patterns, and share insights, all in a Pinterest-like experience. It's an Australian-based company with only 60-ish employees, and it recently closed $63 million in a Series A round. This Series A round was funded by a top-tier investor known as, and called, and in fact, we named, Excel. I've included a link to the press release in the show notes. It has a ton of relevant information about how the investors are thinking about not just Dovetail, but the space at large. Super important for you to take a few seconds and click that link and read that, like, five paragraphs, just to give you a little bit more context. Excel describes what Dovetail is building as a sort of new category. Namely, they're saying Dovetail is the system of record for user research. This episode is a podcast 
Takeover. Now, I know what you're thinking. What the hell, Jamin, is a podcast takeover? This is Monday. This is not a podcast takeover. <laughs> well, it is. Podcast takeover is where I basically play wholesale another podcast. Now, of course, this isn't done in conjunction with Green Book. They provided me the audio files and chew you the audio files for us to be able to incorporate it. I think it is vital for our listeners, you, to understand how Dovetail is thinking about the consumer insights industry. Why do I think that? Because if you don't, you're likely to miss out on a clear path to success. So I'd like you to sit back, relax, or whatever, listen to the Green Book podcast, and as always, we'll include a link to the show in the show notes. Enjoy. everybody. It's Lenny Murphy here with another edition of the Green Book Podcast. Glad you are here sharing time with us. Also glad that our guest today is here spending time with us, Benjamin Humphrey. Ben, welcome. Hey, Lenny. Glad to have you here. A lot of folks may not be aware of your background and of Dovetail, so why don't we take a few minutes and give us the background and the overview, and we'll go from there. Yeah, sure. So, Hi, folks. I'm I'm Benjamin, one of the co-founders of Dovetail and the CEO. I'm actually a Kiwi, so you might heavy accent, but I've been living in Sydney now for probably about nine years. Used to work at Atlassian as a product designer, so I was there for four years and left Atlassian back in 2017 to start Dovetail. The origin story is essentially that I was working with researchers as a designer and felt like researchers did not have very good software compared to what we had as designers. But back, back then, Sketch was quite sort of the, the new hot thing. Uh, this is kind of pre-Figma days. And as a designer going from Photoshop to Sketch, I thought that was very cool. But I was working with researchers who were still dealing with very horizontal kind of products that weren't built for their use case. And also a lot of post-it notes on physical whiteboards. So had this idea of building actually originally a diary studies product, which is what Dovetail started out as. And after about six to 12 months, ended up sort of pivoting into what we do now, which is qualitative data analysis in the cloud, as well as uh, this research repository product too. So that's kind of where we're at now. Company-wise, we're about 65 people. The majority of those are in Sydney. I'm currently in San Francisco setting up our SF office which will be like a go-to-market office for CS sales and support. We have you know, something like 2,700 customers, a lot of Fortune 500 companies use Dovetail, and that's kind of where we're at now. So just closed our Series A recently, which you may have seen in the news, but otherwise, it's kind of what we're up to. Let's brag about that Series A for a minute because those were numbers that even, even after a great year in 2021 of uh, great valuations, that was a pretty darn good one. So feel free to brag for a minute. I, I think that's an important <laughs> point. We'll get to the why in a little bit. Yeah, I think, you know, this comes up a fair bit because obviously we, we chose to announce the valuation and it is very high. And I think that the way I, I feel about this kind of stuff is that it's just a box checking exercise when it comes to startup valuations and you need to try and check as many boxes as you can. For us, you know, there's a lot of stuff that we've done, I suppose, where a, a high volume, low touch, global first SaaS business with good margins, or as I like to call us, a boring software company. And boring software companies are traditionally highly valued because they have good fundamentals. So that's good. You know, Obviously, Brad and I being ex-Atlassian founders, product founders, we have a strong PLG kind of go-to-market motion. We don't do outbound sales. We don't do a lot of paid marketing. All the growth to date has been more or less organic and uh, referral. Customers love the product and it's, it's a big market opportunity. So, so all those kind of tailwinds, I suppose, come together. You know, we raised money from Excel, from Rich Wong at Excel, who led Atlassian Series A back in 2010. And so he's kind of seen Atlassian's journey as an as a Australian-based software company building software for global customers. And it's a constraint in some ways, but it's also a bit of an advantage. You can't just jump on the phone with people in Europe and the States because of the time zones. And so you're forced to solve your problems through a scalable product or software kind of led approach. 
which is what we've done. And so that all that sort of stuff combined together, plus obviously the product's pretty good, people like it, and the market conditions in the economy last year meant that uh, we we could you know close a really nice round at, at a big valuation. Well, and let's say what it is. You raise sixty-five million on a seven hundred million valuation on yeah. a four five-year-old company, right? That's right. Yeah. So this was our third round. We did. We actually bootstrapped for the first couple of years. So we grew the company to five people, profitable at five people. It was very hard, though. You know, being a bootstrap company, we, we hiring was very difficult. A lot of people didn't want to take the plunge on a an unproven company with no external validation beyond the traction we had with customers. And our network back then was, you know, almost entirely Lassian folks that we'd worked with. And so trying to convince somebody to leave Atlassian, which had gone public in 2015 and the stock price was going really well, they had a lot of equity, good salary. How do you convince them to leave and join this sort of four or five person unfunded software company? So we luckily managed to hire a few people and became profitable. But what was happening is that our customers were really like, they're very excited about the product and they were driving us forward and we felt like we didn't want to let them down. So we had a lot of early customers, but back then we might've been three, 300 or 400 customers and we didn't want to let them down. We wanted to build good software and do a good job at support and do a good job at the community and marketing side. And, and so we ultimately decided to, to raise money and that's how we sort of got on the VC track, which was in 2019. So even though we started the company in 2017, our first round was only in 2019. Let's step back a little bit. And let's talk about Dovetail. It originally was a, a diary product. You've pivoted from the standpoint of the way I would characterize it is combining the best new features necessary for product research with knowledge management and collaboration tools. Yes, it's needed, right? Those things have been very siloed and, and disconnected. But how, how did you get there first? Why, that pivot, what drove you to that pivot? And then secondly, Talk a little bit about how the value that you're really bringing to customers now, what they're loving about this product. Yeah, so the original product, Diary Studies product, was you could send SMS and emails on a schedule and run like this longitudinal research study. And the software automated that aspect of it. And then when the participant replied via SMS, they could actually attach a photograph via MMS as well or attach an image via email that would come back into Dovetail and then you could have run your study and get the responses. And people did like the product and we had a few early customers. I remember Pinterest was an early customer and they were using it for a longitudinal study on how people sort of onboard to Pinterest new users and, and what causes them to stick around or what causes them to churn after maybe a week or two. The thing is, is that we, we learned that while people paid for it, they also canceled after their project finished because there was no long-term value there. So once you run a diary study, which is fair enough, you run a diary study, you use Dovetail for sending the, the messages and then you respond and, and people were downloading their responses. So when Brad came on board, because he didn't join right away, I had to spend six months convincing him to join as my co-founder. When he came on board, the first thing we did was ask ourselves, well, you know, we're not going to get anywhere with, with our churn rate that was that high. So we did a whole heap of customer interviews and tried to understand what people were doing once they downloaded their data out of Dovetail. That's how we learned about the kind of crazy methods that people were using to analyze this unstructured data. And it varied from people pulling it into Google Sheets and using columns to create kind of a tag taxonomy to literally printing them out and cutting them up with scissors and affinity mapping them on a whiteboard. And this is back in 2016, 2017. So Miro and Mural, you know, Miro was still called real-time board, I think at that point. Digital whiteboards hadn't really taken off because these are kind of pre-COVID days. So a lot of people were still doing stuff on the physical whiteboards and using highlighters and sticky notes and affinity mapping that way. But the problem is that, you know, it's just really inefficient and manual and it's very lossy. You know, you kind of, once you've done that, you take a photograph of the whiteboard or something and then you put that in a research report and it just felt like there must be a better way. So we contrasted it to what was going on with Sketch and Photoshop and then I guess early days of like Envision and, and Figma. And my analogy there is that Photoshop, you know, was being used by user interface designers, but was not never built for vector-based 
design work. It's literally for photo manipulation. But because it was flexible enough, people were using it as a UI design product. Sketch came along and built like a vector-based UI design product and it took off. So we combined the experience, I guess, Brad and I had working at Atlassian where we were working on the editor team, building a you know real-time collaborative rich text editor and started building that for Dovetail. And we basically ended up with something where you could could put some text into an editor, you could select the text and you could tag it. Then when you go to the tag, you can see all of the text that you've tagged across all these different interviews or usability tests. And so people were using it for note taking. They were, you know, taking notes during their usability testing and, and tagging. But we noticed a lot of people were uh, copying and pasting transcripts from Rev. And so we ended up building video as a first class feature and, and transcription as a first class feature. And then that's kind of the analysis part of the product today. But how people are using it, I mean, you know, a lot of organizations these days are really trying to take research seriously. And I think it's a very different state of the world now than it was a few years ago. And I have a few theories on why this is. We talk about R&D, right? And you think about R&D and there's the research side and there's D, the development side. And the world has invested a lot in the software for the D side of R&D. You know, that, that's kind of the first thing that you do. If you go back to 1990, and you're, you're a software engineer, well, the first thing is you're going to start working on a, 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 like a way to store your code so you get a rise on the scene, a way to track issues that you're working on as a software team. So we have Jira, eventually GitHub to store the code in the cloud, IDEs for you to write code. And so you solve problems for yourself initially, right? And that's kind of what the Bay Area has done for the last 20 or 30 years of technology. And so there's a lot of investment in the D side and it's a very mature ecosystem now. You know, it's very easy to actually start a software company now and build something. You can use Amazon or Google Cloud for a lot of your stuff that you need. There's Heroku, you know, you've got TypeScript and, and React and you've got IDEs and it's all very mature as an ecosystem. What's happened though, I think, is that because the barrier to entry has lowered for the D side of R&D, the actual differentiation between software companies on execution has dropped. And so the R side has become way more important because it's not so much how you build it and how quickly you can build it. If everybody can do that quickly, then it's more about what you're building and why and what you're trying to solve and the priority order and the sequencing that you're building stuff. So the R side of R&D is getting a lot more attention these days, driven partly because of the growth of design. But I think companies that can figure it out and not only can execute well, but actually execute well on the right things that people actually want, like the you know, the natural organic desires that people have to solve real problems, then obviously those companies are very successful. So I think that's one thing that's happening in the industry. Another thing I think that's happening in the industry is that, as I said, software companies are no longer building for themselves. You can't just use the product and dog food it and kind of intuitively know what your customers want. So now with, uh, you know, technology, a bit of a solved thing in terms of no one wants to build another Jira these days, I don't think. Instead, what we're doing is, you know, we're building software for fintech and financial industry. We're building climate and renewable related software. We're building healthcare software. We're building uh, self-driving cars. And, you know, the Valley in the Bay Area and software companies are now building things not for themselves, which means that it's not as easy to just know what to do. And so these companies are hiring researchers earlier and earlier and earlier and trying to build a much greater customer understanding to fund this development. So I think that's happening. I think the third trend is around product-led growth. Traditionally, you would have a sales team that is creating a natural feedback loop. And with PLG and kind of the rise of that, especially on the bottom and mid-market side of the company, you don't have that natural feedback loop with the sales team. So design, product, research is even more important. And so PLG companies are investing in this, this stuff even more than ever. So, and everybody's trying to become a PLG company. You know, all these old school companies are all trying to go PLG. So I think that those three macro trends have culminated in this kind of rise of research for lieu of a better word, because I think that everybody's trying to invest in research. And we see that with a lot of organizations now. So a lot of people, a lot of companies are, are buying Dovetail partly because they want a way to analyze all the data, all the interviews and usability tests that they're doing across the company and any sort of market research stuff as well. And partly because there's a lot of hype around the research repository, knowledge base, insights management space right now. But I also think that these organizations are trying to go through a sort of cultural change. 
and are trying to bring customers a lot closer to the work that's going on and using Dovetail as a bit of a, a vehicle for that, a discussion around that. I couldn't agree more overall. And I think even to add, I think 2020 added impetus to that because behavior was changing so quickly and it created lots of disruption and white space in, in consumer behavior across the board. You know, no matter whether it's where you bought your toilet paper, but also what type of toilet paper and manufactured it, as well as which delivery service is a better experience when I'm I'm ordering. So you know, that drove a lot of adoption and research earned its seat at the table, I think. And folks have recognized the value of getting closer to their to their customer and and engaging with them in this co-creation iterative process of designing fit for purpose products. Who to thunk it? If you design something people want, they buy it and you make money. Right? Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So totally get that. From a competitive standpoint, though, there were these siloed segments in the industry, right? There's knowledge management. You got companies, you know, like MarketLogic, for instance, you know, big big one in the knowledge management space for research, design kind of different for research and managing all the weird data and all the you know peculiarities of this industry. And you've got the user usability folks over here and you got qual and you got quant and you know all the different platforms and it seems that there definitely has been a hunger for integration and for one ring to rule them all so i definitely see the opportunity to name drop another company uh, qualtrics they're determined at the platformification and if we look at the broader tech who's going to be the apple who's going to be the google who's going to be the microsoft who's you know where is that connection point going to become uh, where's that coming from and I think that's still a fairly open space with opportunities to address specific issues, especially. So I think it's brilliant that you focused on having tools to both analyze the data as well as to store it and to manage it and collaborate on it. When you think about Dovetail, do you see yourself being part of that connective tissue of an integrated ecosystem or do you see yourself becoming the fundamental platform that is building out new tools and you're capturing the entire kind of process and value chain, which direction do you think you're going to go? I mean, you're right about the fragmentation. I think researchers have a bit of a tough time with the amount of tools out there. And it really is an absolute like pain in the butt to sort of integrate all these tools. And, and I think there's this really long tail of different specific tools for different methodologies. like. You know, we're never going to build a card sorting product, for example. It's very specific and a very niche methodology compared to maybe interviews, for example. But even the product is not positioned specifically for interviews. You know, it's one of the use cases you can use Dovetail for. And I don't think we would get into collecting the data. Like we're not going to, you know, try and compete with Zoom, for example. So I think that from our perspective, what we want to end up with is being a platform for all of this kind of data and certainly integrating with specific tools like Qualtrics, you know, for surveys and NPS data to pull that into Dovetail and have that as kind of like the collaboration layer, I suppose, where you are writing research reports, which we call stories, capturing insights and and building up a searchable database across all these different channels. And that is how the research is disseminated through the organization because the problem with a lot of these products like Qualtrics is that they're very expensive and the reason they're very expensive is because they haven't managed to penetrate across the entire organization because they're fundamentally not collaboration products you know Qualtrics is a, a survey product and they land with the research team and the researchers get highly you know expensive seats and the reason they're so expensive is because they're only going to get a few of them what we want to do is get to a world where the whole organization can get value from research. And so you have your marketing team in there, your customer success team, sales team, the executive team, you have your designers, engineers, product managers. You know, I use the term research hub or research portal, but you can imagine, you know, Atlassian's a big customer of ours. You can imagine that you go to research.atlassian.com if you're an employee of Atlassian, and you can search through all of the insights and raw data that the company knows or has heard about how people use Jira, for example. So it's the searchable knowledge base, but then you can also take those snippets of data and compile that into your own research report or your own story or even a live dashboard if there's integrations coming in. So right now, our product is 
quite good for interviews and usability testing and maybe some survey analysis of like unstructured surveys and MPS responses, but it is not at the point where it's integrated with Qualtrics and it's integrated with quantitative tools, for example, Segment or Optimizely or something where you're actually getting this constant feed of data. That is where we want to go, though. We would like to be somewhat of a unification tool, but we certainly don't want to compete with all of this long tail of what I call collection methods, essentially data collection methods. So we would never build a survey product, for example, because there's already too many survey products and we do not want to compete on the survey front. You know, we'll let Typeform, we'll let SurveyMonkey, we'll let Qualtrics kind of battle it out. But the survey responses, we would love to end up in Dovetail because that's in our world, the collaboration layer and the gateway to the rest of the organization. And so the way that we build, the way we design and build the product is very consumption first. You know, it looks, people sometimes say that it looks a bit like Pinterest. That is by design. We want it to look and feel like a social network or like a consumer product so that if you're an engineer or someone in the customer success team or the support team who would like to build more context on the customers or perhaps look at prior research that was done or maybe you're a new product manager that's just joined and you're in your first week and you're trying to build an understanding of the differentiators of the product or whatever you're trying to do, you can jump into the product and it feels really easy and frictionless to consume the data and insights. And I think the problem today is that it's it, that's really hard. Like you have to go and get access to all these different tools. You need paid seats where a seat costs a lot of money. So there is this barrier to the insights being kind of disseminated. And that is the thing that we want to remove, basically. Let's play hypotheticals for a minute. So on the roadmap, if I'm following that, that thinking, one thing that would seem to be useful would be a analytical tool for structured data. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, you know, an SPSS like solution build by, I think, you know, we have our analysis part of the product, by the way, probably when this goes live in March, we would have launched our new products. And so we're actually becoming a multi-product software company. So Dovetail currently builds Dovetail, but Dovetail in about a month or two will be the creator of a product called Markup, a product called Playback, and a product called Backstage. So that, that kind of like space of, of analysis, the Markup product is where we would like people to work, researchers and people doing research to work, you know, multiple hours every day. That's their productivity tool. That, that is their Figma you know, the equivalent of Figma for designers or for engineers, that's their VS code. That's the IDE for researchers, right? And that's kind of what our vision is for the markup product because we think it's important that we provide a better way for people to analyze all of this data that's coming from different sources. And we think we can do a pretty good job at that. Then the playback product is kind of more of stuff I was talking about before. That's where, you know, you're going to take your small insights and snippets of data from markup and you're going to sort of reference them within research reports. We have the stories feature, which is kind of like a way to write a research report. And just today we launched, uh, so you can upload files to playback. So PDFs and PowerPoints and keynotes and things. And we actually just launched deep search within that content. So you can search within PDFs inside the playback product. So in this sense, we're actually somewhat going head to head against Dropbox and Google Drive and Confluence, where folks are using those tools as a sort of ad hoc research repository. So to come all the way back to your question, you know, I wouldn't rule it out. I think that our strategy now is to basically, you know, we hear about so many opportunities in this space. And so our strategy as a software company is to basically play in this customer insights category and strategically choose to build certain products where we feel like we can add a lot of value and play to our strengths. Quantitative data is something we haven't really done a lot of, but you know, one of the things that we would love to do and are thinking about is building a product that helps customers handle the high volume data that they get that is still unstructured. So for example, companies like Atlassian are getting hundreds of thousands of pieces of in-product feedback a year, people click in the send feedback button. And sometimes, you know, that is a, a bug report. Sometimes it's a piece of feedback that needs to be routed to the appropriate team. And sometimes it's a feature request. And sometimes it's a support ticket. 
Now, the way that companies classify this data is pretty, pretty bad at the moment. It's either very manual or it just goes into some dumping ground. So that kind of stuff, NPS responses, tweets, app store reviews, reviews on G2 Crowd, Captera. There's actually a lot of really interesting stuff in that content, but the volume, especially when you get to the scale of Fortune 500, means it's beyond a lot of CX or VOC teams or, or design teams to analyze effectively. So we would like to dip our toes into ML classification and see if we can build some kind of integration API first product that can pull all this stuff in to dovetail. And then of course you would be able to embed these kinds of things into research reports alongside interviews and quotes and, and video footage. And then we're really talking sort of mixed, mixed methods and mixed kind of data compiled together into reports, which is pretty cool. It's it's not a probably not the best example, but the one that comes to mind for me is Slack for research. I think Slack's done a good job of building lots of plugins and capabilities that, that are easy to access from one central location, right? My Slack is open all day long. So it serves a very specific purpose for communication, but I know I can do other stuff off of it just yep. you know, by enabling it. So if, if you're the hub, as you said, be, you want people to be in, dovetail all day, right? It's the place, it's the, the operating system, if you will, or, or collaboration tool, central you know, platform for that connection, then the idea of those integrations makes sense. I mean, you know, think about, so you mentioned you know, text analytics, social media analytics, there's a hundred different platforms out there that do that and do it pretty well. And it goes back to the siloed issue. Somebody's paying a big million dollar license a year for one of those solutions, and they're deploying it against whatever a type of unstructured data that they want. The reviews on, on Yelp, yada, 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 right? They're getting that stuff, but only one place in the organization is getting that stuff. Yeah, it's often very siloed to a specific team. And, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of research not being shelfware. And I think that that kind of stuff happens a lot. And we've seen with our customers, at least, that the, the org chart kind of is a bit weird in a lot of ways. You know, like the research team often falls under product or in, under design. And on the product side, they're kind of doing their own thing. But then there's this, you know, CX, VOC, market research kind of group, customer success even. Plus, you have support and sales in the, in the GTM org that are also talking to customers a lot of the time and often have a lot of interesting uh, insights. You know, I remember a few years ago, we had a customer that, that was using Dovetail in their support team and they would integrate, you know, Zendesk with Dovetail through Zapier and were mining the support tickets for insights, mostly, you know, pain points product pain points, usability pain points, feature requests, and so on that they could then use to inform the backlog. But we think about it as data in and data out integrations, like probably most companies do. And the challenge with research space is that there's so much fragmentation in the tools. You know, we could spend forever just building integrations to get data into Dovetail. So we need to think about how do we prioritize the most important integrations, but then also how do we build maybe an API or how do we build a marketplace or an ecosystem and also just better importing tools so that if you have to do it manually and, and download a CSV or a JSON file and pull it into Dovetail, it's, it's not that painful. But the data out integrations are quite interesting too. We're just launching our Slack integration right now. And so you can uh, you know connect Dovetail to Slack and then you can app mention the bot, the Dovetail bot and do a search and it will respond with the top insights that it's come up with from the search result, which is pretty handy. It also does notifications for comments and people liking your stories and things. But another thing we're working on is, is an integration with Jira and, and Confluence where you can then connect your insights and stories to you know, the roadmap work that you're working on. And this is kind of interesting because Product Board is sort of trying to do this in their product. They have a sort of workflow where insights are sort of the first thing you're supposed to start with and then they kind of connect to, to epics on the roadmap and stories and the whole idea is that as you're, if you're an engineer working on a feature, you can kind of see the traceability all the way back to where the work came from, which builds more customer empathy and maybe hopefully more sense of ownership and, and more motivation to, to work on fixing the problem. But similar kind of thing for us, you know, just connecting insights and stories to roadmap items, being able to embed stuff into Confluence pages, 
And then while we're on the topic of integrations, there's another sort of third group around research ops. We hear a lot about, you know, the flip side of being the hub of a central database for all this stuff is that you're heavily scrutinized from a privacy and security point of view. So, you know, we've obviously invested in SOC 2 compliance and GDPR compliance. We're working on HIPAA at the moment for our healthcare customers. But a really interesting thing is if you have that connection between the insights and maybe an embedded quote in a story, and then that comes all the way back to the raw video recording and the transcript. If that person's an EU citizen, for example, and they say, hey, I want to be, I want to exercise my right to be forgotten, then you could hit maybe an API and dovetail, which then goes through and cascades delete just that person from the research, or maybe applies some different permissions based on who you are. So we've done some engineering spiking of using uh, facial recognition to essentially make two versions of a video. So one version is like a redacted version where the person has blurred face and the other version is the original. And depending on who you are, what permission level you have, if you're the original researcher and you have access, then you can see the original. But if you're someone else in the organization that's not allowed to see the participants from a, from a privacy point of view, then you can still consume the research and you can still listen to the person and you can still build empathy and understanding, but in a privacy safe way, because you're looking at some sort of blurred face or something. So I think that's the really cool and interesting technical challenges that we have. But on an integration front, you know, maybe there's, there's a whole bunch of stuff around scheduling and NDAs and, and that sort of stuff where we could integrate. So, yeah. So Emily, our producer, whom, whom you met, she's forced us all to use Notion. I've drugged my feet on that. But the more I get into it, I was like, all right, well, this is pretty cool. I see the use of it. So do you see a future? Because I, I can also see Notion being considered a somewhat competitive product. I mean, there's, there's some overlap, I think, at least in, in some capabilities. Other would be Domo. But as you're coming in and somebody's, well, we're, we're a Domo shop. We're a Notion shop. We're already built and utilizing these. Do you see a path where it's like, okay, but we think we can augment what they do. Use it for what you use it for. We're going to make it better by providing more resources, more connectivity, et cetera. Is that part of the, the path? They can have that API you know, model? Yeah, maybe. I think if you consider Notion as a competitor, you know, they're not from the analysis point of view. Right, they, right. they would never build out sort of video transcription and, a, and affinity mapping and, and tag taxonomy management and, and all that sort of stuff. So from that perspective, you can use Notion databases to sort of tag stuff in the same way that you could use a spreadsheet. But, you know, it's not purpose built for that use case. On the knowledge management or insights management kind of space, I think it's, it's easier to draw a parallel and say that you're in competition with Notion similar to how we are with Confluence, you know, if you're just talking about research reports and then, well, then, you know, Word docs, PDFs, Google Drive, Dropbox Paper, Confluence, Notion are all competitors to us. Where I think we can add more value is because we're building specifically for the use case of storing research reports and files and collaborating on that content. And so some of these features around traceability, being able to pull your videos and quotes and things in from the markup product from your analysis, you know, that kind of stuff adds a lot more value, right to be forgotten APIs, GDPR compliance, all the stuff that researchers care about, that horizontal tools that are building for like many different teams and many different use cases are likely not going to prioritize. It's very early days though, like the research software market is highly mature in some places and incredibly immature in others. And so it's, it's got a, a few years, I think, of sort of work that needs to be done to bring it up to the level of maturity that we may that we see maybe in product management software or in design software. I agree, of course, but with so much investment money flowing into the industry, that's going to help speed that maturation process. So that's great. Mm -hmm. So what are you excited for for 2022? Give us a, a teaser. So you described the new products that are going to be released by the time this is out. What else? What do you yeah. think that your Q4 looks like for you? Yeah, hopefully by the time this is out, we've released that stuff. If not, you've got a teaser for it. Um, <laughs> I mean, we're making some big, big changes this year. Like obviously the multi-product stuff's really exciting, launching the Canvas view and new ways to synthesize data in Dovetail is very exciting. 
we're also changing our pricing and packaging to lower the barrier to entry, introducing a free forever plan, which I'm also very excited about. So we have a lot of a lot of freelancers and agencies, startups and consultants, academic students and teachers who are all kind of budget constrained. And a lot of them are quite salty about research software moving up market really aggressively and cutting them out, you know, from a pricing point of view. We have no intention to do that sort of stuff. We want to kind of look after these people and, and turn them ideally into, into massive product advocates and have a community around that in a similar way that Figma and Notion and Airtable have free plans. So we're going to launch something like this and hopefully have, have a nice free kind of user base. And I'm very excited about the potential there from a community point of view. Um, you know, we, we want to do a conference this year as well, which is internally codenamed DoveCon. Uh, <laughs> and we were thinking we could call it DoveCon 1, but I'm sure we'll come up with something better. But, you know, that kind of stuff's really cool. I think we're growing our marketing team. And I think that the benefits there is that we can produce more quality content marketing on our on our blog method of madness we can run more events uh, we ran a, a webinar yesterday a panel webinar on on repository design and we had matt from microsoft who is kind of a, the brains behind their internal repository called the human insight system it's called hits and he's written a few medium articles about it and we, we've had thomas sharon on before and, and he's written some stuff on our blog and jared spool and so trying to do more of this sort of stuff and try and provide some quality content not one of these companies that forces people into trials and and kind of tries to sell the product all the time if you want to use it go for it if you don't you'll come back one point at some point hopefully so in terms of our marketing efforts and everything i'm excited about what that means for just the market at large and kind of producing really quality content for people so that's something we're growing this year you know personally i find some of these technical challenges around how do you balance privacy and empathy building in an organization, how do you disseminate customer insights and everything across the whole company in a privacy and security kind of safe way? So hopefully we'll launch some enterprise features to help with that. But that's kind of what I'm excited about. And then obviously we're opening up our San Francisco office, which is a big thing for us because it's the first second office. You know, we've never done this before. So Brad and I are currently in San Francisco and uh, we we have a WeWork at the moment, but you know, in about three to six months, we hope to have our own office uh, somewhere in the city and we're building out a go-to-market and marketing team here so we'll have enterprise aes customer success support and product marketing event marketing folks here hopefully so we're hiring a lot of people at the moment san francisco roles are up on the website and if by any chance you happen to be listening to this in sydney we have a lot of roles open in Sydney uh, across product and engineering and marketing and ops and so on. But that's kind of what's happening this year. I think it's very exciting. And then maybe we'll get around to building this this fourth product, this kind of high volume thing that I was talking about that we want to experiment with. And so maybe we can get something like that into beta by the end of the year. But there's some hard technical challenges there. But mostly it's just continue executing. We're a very incremental company. We just build on what we learn. As we go, we, we iterate and we listen to our customers a lot. You know, it doesn't surprise you, hopefully, that we're incredibly customer-centric. We use Dovetail like a hell of a lot ourselves. We have our own full-time researcher, Anna, who is always talking to customers, plus our design team, PM team, sales, support, et cetera. Our support person, Emily, makes a monthly story kind of recap in Dovetail. We have our support tool connected to Dovetail through Zapier. And once a month, she'll go through and pull some highlights out from support and do some analysis and create a story with the themes from our support channel and passes that on to the product team through Dovetail. So we've very much used it across the company and some of our customers are there as well. So Safety Culture, for example, there's a case study up on our website where they're doing a similar thing and they're actually using Dovetail in the customer success and support teams and sales teams, which is pretty exciting. So we would like to get into more of that sort of stuff and essentially try and, you know, this is a, a somewhat controversial topic, but essentially try and make everybody a researcher in some sense, because I think that's the only way for organizations to scale that, you know, there's never going to be a good ratio of full-time researchers to other roles. And so we have to figure out how do we educate designers and PMs and how do we educate marketing folks and CS and sales and support and the executive team to be able to stop maybe cherry picking 
things and actually look at stuff and analyze it in a fairly effective way. The other cool thing I like doing is trying to change the perception of research. I think that there's a lot of negative connotations around it being maybe slow and inefficient. Some of that might be tied to the the methodologies or the fragmentation of tools. Obviously, research ops and participant recruitment and scheduling is really a real pain in the ass. And our friends at user interviews are trying to improve that aspect of it. That's kind of something that we're both trying to do is just sort of make research more efficient and decrease the time to insight. So that, that's all very exciting because it's all kind of interesting intellectual challenges and there's all kinds of weird organizational politics and stuff going on there. So I quite like that stuff. Those are some monumental challenges. So no wonder you got that valuation is you're solving, solving them or have a path to solve them because they're, they're big issues, right? Yeah, one of the coolest companies that I know is a company called Office Support. It, it's a plug-in to Office that allows you to automate the process of analyzing data in Office as you would within like SPSS. It's a widget, it's a widget, but it is so valuable, you know? So when you can solve those, those little issues and it inform lots of putting them all together in one platform like you are, right? It's amazingly valuable. It's amazingly mm-hmm. valuable. So mm-hmm. I had heard once, I don't know if it's true or not, it could be uh, just kind of apocrypha that the guy that created WinZip Oh yeah, this multi-billionaire. Yeah, you know, I'm just creating this one little thing yeah. of WinZip because it it just solved so many problems that were just a pain in the ass, but nobody had really focused on how to do it. So anyway, I'm glad that you're you're thinking about all these things. We're like, yeah, we can do that. We can do that because those are all the yeah, types of things yeah. that we need to solve to become more efficient. Yeah, and I think that like a lot of research software, I feel maybe hasn't been ambitious enough. I feel like there are some really good tools in this space but they've kind of stayed in their lane which is kind of you know a bit weird to me and i feel like there's some good software companies out there that maybe haven't capitalized on the opportunity as much as i feel like they could have so when we look at this as a holistic market and to play the future forward a wee bit maybe five or ten years you know i feel like if we can do a good job and execute on all the stuff that we want to do then it's pretty exciting because i think it can change how organizations build products and services. And I think that generally it'll improve the quality of everything for, for everybody, right? Like if if your bank is a Dovetail customer and you know they, they're doing some service design or service research and, and using Dovetail for that, and if that results in a better experience for you as a customer, well, you know, how good is that, right? So that's kind of what our, that's what I enjoy is sort of this enablement thing. And Atlassian was similar, right? Like Atlassian is to be like Atlas, and Atlas kind of holds the earth up. And the whole thing is all about kind of unleashing the potential in teams to, to build better products and services for the world. And it's a similar thing for us, I think. Like we, we don't directly change outcomes, but I think through the use of the software, hopefully, and the organizational change and all the marketing and education work that we do, we can make the world a, a better place, at least when it comes to being a customer or, or something like that. So I think that's at a, at a macro sort of navel gazing level potentially where you could take it and and at a nerdy IC product designer level building a cloud-based real-time collaborative QDA platform plus the knowledge-based stuff has a whole heap of interesting technical and design challenges which I really enjoy too so it's a very complicated product and we try to make it as simple as possible with a with a fairly small team <laughs> well but I love that motivational framework too, right? I mean, you got to have reason to get up out of bed. It's not just about making money, right? That's a, that's an empty life, mm-hmm. I think. So yeah. it's, it's solving a problem, making the world a better place, even by making it easier to connect the product manufacturer with the consumer, right? Being more customer centric, you know, building stuff that people want in the way they want it. That's the ultimate in, in problem solving. I've got another startup called called Veriglip, and somebody asks, you know, well, why do you want to do this? And it's a data play. I won't go into all that, but uh, it, it came up yesterday. I said, well, because I think it'll make the world a better place. Absolutely, and we our culture is all about craft and execution, and the actual the actual craft of building product and writing code and and designing interfaces and and, and UX. And we are very quality focused company, which 
is a great challenge. How do you scale quality as you hire a lot of people, which is something that we're sort of you know, going through at the moment as we, as we add a lot of people this year. But one of our values is if we do it, we nail it. That's one of our company values. And another company value we have, which has a healthy tension, is do the thing. And so what you really want to try and figure out is how do you move quickly and how do you maintain velocity while also nailing it and executing well. And I think companies that figure that out can be very successful. So just from a raw craft point of view, for example, this project views work that we just shipped, I mean, that's from a technical complexity perspective, migration perspective, and just the IA of the product and the sort of you know, the HCI element and usability element. It's a hard project and it's probably one of the hardest projects I've worked on and, and I worked on uh, Jira. So you can imagine the complexity there, but I think we've done a great job at it and the team's done a great job at it. But, uh, you know, we had lots of workshops, design sessions, whiteboarding sessions, lots of prototypes made in Figma and, and that, that actual making aspect of my job at least is something that I want to hang on to as much as I can. So you mentioned Notion before. We're like a massive Notion shop. We uh, use Notion very heavily and find them very inspiring because they're a very craft-focused company and sort of famously mysterious about how they build product. And they appear to, on the outside, do a good job of shipping great features quickly. They care a lot about their customers, do a good job at marketing. So very inspiring company. So last thing, you're hiring. You gave that pitch, right? So how can people reach you? Yeah. So, I mean, our website is dovetailapp.com. I think if you just Google Dovetail these days, we're kind of number one on search results, which is cool. I just just did that here in San Francisco. It's always hard to know how you're ranking when you're doing a search from Australia because obviously being an Australian company, we rank uh, number one in Australia, but I just did here in an incognito window and we're ranking high on Google now for the search term Dovetail, which is frankly surprising and something that I never thought would happen because Dovetail is obviously a woodworking joint and it has a Wikipedia page. And so anyway, if you Google us, you'll find us, you know, there's a careers page and a bit about us there. You can start a free trial if you want to give the product a go. And if you don't want to give the product a go, then that's fine too. So well, Benjamin, thank you. Enjoy the rest of your sandwich. Hopefully it's, uh, it hasn't gotten too stale uh, while we were chatting. Uh, audience, thank you for joining us. And we will be back soon with another edition of the Greenberg Podcast. That's it for today. Everybody be well. Bye-bye.